everybody pleaded with Jesus Christ. They said to him, heal this man's servant. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hemphrey. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV. We are going through the Bible in one year from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. Welcome, good to have you with us as we focus on this in Luke chapter 7. We're going to study that in just about two minutes time. So make sure you're ready for that. Corey and Ryan are also here. Corey. Today I'm going to be looking forward to Luke chapter 11 where there's accusations blown Jesus's way about Beelzebul. Ryan? Well, today we're in the third gospel called Luke, but Luke and the other gospel writers often quote from what many scholars refer to as the fifth gospel, and that is Isaiah. So today I'm focused on him and his prophecies of Jesus Christ. Very interesting. And Janice is here. What are you doing? Today I'm going to talk about a deeper walk. All right. So get ready. Take your Bible guide out. Let's go to this particular passage and let's learn what God said. Luke 7, 1 through 10. Now when he concluded all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. And a certain centurion servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. So when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that the one for whom he should do this was deserving, for he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. Then Jesus went with them. And when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Therefore, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you, but say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to one, Go, and he goes, and to another, Come, and he comes, and to my servant, Do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith not even in Israel. And those who were sent, returning to the house, found the servant well who had been sick. Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. Luke chapter 7 and chapter 8. Now I have a question for you. What does it mean to be worthy? Now many of us in the modern West are in a democracy, which means that the government deems us worthy to vote, worthy to have a voice in shaping our nation's future. Now this concept has become so central that some people voting is the most important thing that they can do for their future. But while this recognition of having a say in our country is a remarkable one, for Christians, there is something even more impactful that we can do, whether we live in a democracy, a dictatorship, a monarchy, or anything else. For us, our future should be hinged on our prayer life and our obedience to God. 
Voting should be a secondary act, whether our governments deem us worthy of the voice or not. God has given us the amazing privilege of having a voice with him, the creator of all things and this universe. I mean, how amazing is that? Now, let's not become unmotivated in our prayer life. We're speaking to the creator of the universe. Well, today's reading tells of a man who knew that he was unworthy, but Jesus healed his servant anyway. And that is remarkable. You know, when Jesus was there and he heard what the man said, he said, I'm not worthy. Jesus turned around and said to the crowd, I have never seen such great faith in Israel. Absolutely remarkable. Take your Bible guide and turn to today's page. It's very important. Not worthy. Luke chapter 7, 1 through 10. And if you don't have a Bible guide, call us or write to us. We'll send you one. Another way you can get a hold of one is by going to BibleDiscoveryTV.com and BibleDiscoveryTV.com. Click on the page, the page that has a picture of the Bible guide on it. It will take you to the place where you can get a hold of yours. Let me say thank you for your donations. They are very important to us. And we, again, we don't tell uh, you what, we think you should give, but we, we ask you to pray about it and ask the Holy Spirit. And Father, I pray today that you would bless the people who give accordingly and help them to understand that you are powerful. Now, Lord, I pray as we go into Luke chapter 7, that you would teach us your way and show us your path. Because this is a very interesting time in history. Help us to learn and understand what Jesus Christ has said to us through the power of his Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus Christ, and we all said together, amen. Now, as we look at chapter 7, this gets very interesting. We go to the first verse, and it says, Now when he concluded all of his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum, village of Nahum. And a certain centurion, a Roman servant, centurion, had a servant who was a dear servant to him. And he was sick and ready to die. So when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him, Jesus, pleading with Jesus to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying, that one of the one for whom he should do this was deserving, for he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. This is fascinating. Many came to Jesus pleading with him to heal the centurion's servant. You see, again, there is power in corporate prayer. Now, beloved, keep in mind that's the reason we have a prayer meeting called Time to Pray. We come three times a week and we say, this is our time to pray. We pray here when you write to us, when you email us or however you get in contact with us. Because when we pray, read the Bible and pray, God listens to us. This is the creator of the universe. And so God answers the prayer. Well, these men came because they were compelled to do this for this good man. And they said, Jesus, heal him, help him. So what happens? We go back to the scripture in Luke chapter 7. Then Jesus went with them, and when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to Jesus, saying to Jesus, 
Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not a man worthy that you should enter under my roof. Therefore, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you, but say the word, and my servant will be healed. Say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority, and having soldiers under me, I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these words, he marveled at him and turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. God was totally impressed. The Roman centurion had more faith than Israel's men. Although we are not worthy, God loves us and chooses to help us and provide us, provide for us when we call to him in faith. What does that mean, faith? I remember as a young man coming to know the Lord, I, I thought I had to have all this faith, work up this faith inside of me. And I would go and I would pray and say, I believe, I believe, I believe. But hold on a minute. Because Jesus Christ said, if you have faith in me, as much as a mustard seed, you'll be able to move that mountain and tell it to go into the sea and take root the tree. I want to tell you something. God wants us to be honest with him. So like the other man who said, I have faith, Lord, forgive my unbelief. That's how we do it. So faith is not this thing inside of us that we conjure up. It's not this thing inside of us that we say, I'm going to have faith. It's this honesty and knowing that God is real. That's what it means. Very interesting. So Jesus turns to the crowd and he says all of this. And then what happens? Luke chapter 7, verse 10. Here's what it says. And those who were sent, returning to the house, found the servant well, who had been sick. Which takes me to this point. God healed the servant, and the centurion was touched by Jesus Christ. He was touched by him. You see, beloved, when we seek God in faith, his touch on our life changes us forever. We are forever changed. No one is ever the same when we're touched by Jesus Christ. When we reach out and say, Lord, forgive my unbelief, I believe. God says, yes, I will. I will have mercy on you. So come to Jesus Christ today. He's not some figure in the past out of some people's minds, all conjured up. He's real. He came, he lived, died, and rose again. And he says, if you believe in me and ask me, I will come in and forgive your sins, and I will be the Lord of your life. So pray and say, Lord, help me and forgive my unbelief. I need help today. Forgive me for the sin of my life. Come in and be my Lord in the name of Jesus Christ. This is what we said together, both you and I, as we say that. We say thank you, Lord, for healing us and for helping us. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When you clap and when you get excited, you are celebrating life. Do you understand that? Jesus Christ gave us life. 
but he promised that the Holy Spirit would be sent. Now, in Luke chapter 11, we see Jesus being accused of casting out demons by the power of the prince of demons, who is named in Luke 11 as Beelzebul. And this has happened before in the Gospels as well. But I wanted to take some time today to really dig into this, this, this character, this, this figure that shows up in Luke 11. Who was Beelzebul? Or at least, who did the people in the first century believe Beelzebul was? Take a look. In an incident recorded three different times in the Gospels, Jesus is accused of casting out demons by Beelzebul. In all accounts, Beelzebul is said by the accusers of Jesus to be the prince of demons and even to be in possession of Jesus. Jesus rejects this claim by pointing out that Satan doesn't drive out his own team. Satan doesn't drive out Satan. It was the Pharisees who had accused Jesus of operating by this power. But a problem existed with their claim. Exorcism wasn't just practiced by Jesus. Some of the Pharisees themselves cast out demons. Jesus said to them, And if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your people drive them out? Today, it's not the strange-to-us accusation of Jesus being demon-possessed that bothers readers of the gospel, but rather the identification of Beelzebul. Who was this entity to these first century Jews? We know he was seen as an evil spiritual power, the prince of demons, and that Jesus seems to equate him with Satan in his defense. But it's a peculiar fact that in no surviving contemporary source or Jewish tradition is the name Beelzebul mentioned. In the fourth century AD, we see Beelzebul being interpreted as another name for Satan based off of Jesus's assertion, but that's still a few hundred years after the fact and doesn't help us really understand how Jesus's original hearers would have understood the term. One option is to link this gospel use of Beelzebul with a mention in 2 Kings 1 to the Philistinian god of Ekron, Baalzebub. In 2 Kings, the ungodly Israelite king Ahaziah, son of Ahab, had injured himself severely and sent messengers to inquire of this Baalzebub. The angel of the Lord has the prophet Elijah intercept the messengers and send his message back to the king. Because of his unfaithfulness to God, Ahaziah will die. The rest of the story includes more messengers of the king dramatically being burned up by heavenly fire. So if the Pharisees were alluding to this passage, it certainly would have been a direct way of condemning Jesus. The people were wondering if Jesus was the son of David, the Messiah in the kingly line. The Pharisees then would be saying, Jesus is more like the imposter Ahaziah, son of an evil king and pagan queen, whose allegiance lay with the evil god of Ekron. Furthermore, association with this pagan god led to the fiery deaths of the king's associates. In other words, Jesus was an evil spiritual imposter, allegiance to whom would lead to the direct judgment of God. There's a lot more that can be said about the interesting linguistic changes that seem to have been made from Baal's above to Baal's above. But for now, it's sufficient to know that there was a tendency in Judaism to expose foreign gods as demonic powers, even changing the meaning of their name to reflect that. Okay. 
There we go. Of all the accusations thrown Jesus's way, I think this is a really interesting one that has some, uh, you know, rather interesting historical connections. Yeah, it really does. And it's fascinating because as you begin to study this, you learn some things about the culture as well. Yeah. So that's very, very interesting. Just a quick note to let everybody know that on October 21st, we're going to be live at Faith Gospel Tabernacle. Yes, we are. That's going to be exciting. You're all going to be there and you're going to make presentations and that's from one o'clock to five o'clock or 5.30 in the afternoon. And so we want to encourage you to make time uh, to join us and we'd like to meet you and see you. So that's October the 31st, or excuse me, the 21st. And uh, make sure you make time to join us because we'll look forward to seeing you. Yeah, okay? So people can go online to our website go to online. register or they can call our Canadian office to yes. register. It's free to register, but we just want to know if you're coming so that we can make sure that we have enough space for you. Yeah. And, and also we'll have some coffee there too. Yeah. So we just want to make sure that we know we got everything handled. So that's very good. It's free. Excellent. Ryan. Okay. So today we find ourselves roughly halfway between the four gospels, but a lot of scholars would say that there's a fifth, and that is the Old Testament book of Isaiah. And even casual readers notice that the gospel writers quote the prophet Isaiah a lot. Now, of course, we first met this prophet back in 2 Kings 19, but his book is extremely significant because he wrote like he knew Jesus as well as any disciple ever would. And that's why some scholars have has nicknamed his book the fifth gospel. So today I want to focus on this very unique prophet of God. Although technically a prophet of Judah, Isaiah was really an international messenger as he spoke God's judgment on entire peoples across the vast region. His name means Yahweh is salvation and was first called by God to be a prophet in the year that King Uzziah died. In fact, his 40-year career spanned the reign of four kings, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. Isaiah's call commenced with a dramatic vision in which the Lord revealed to him the grueling nature of his mission. Though God really put him to task, Isaiah was steadfastly obedient to God, even to the point of prophesying naked for three years. However, his prophecies were not all doom and gloom and judgment. He is a good news prophet with a message of hope and salvation who foretells a glorious messianic age when God's kingdom will rule upon the earth. This didn't go unnoticed. Isaiah contains so many messianic prophecies that his book has been nicknamed the fifth gospel. In fact, New Testament writers quote Isaiah about 50 times, more than any other book. He's also been called the Evangelical Prophet, because although the book was inked 700 years before Jesus was born, he wrote like he knew Jesus as well as any disciple ever would. While we know much about Isaiah's career, the prophet says little of himself. We do know that he was the son of Imaz, was married to a prophetess, and that they had at least two sons. His eloquence of speech and easy access to the kings may also suggest that he was an educated noble. In fact, Jewish tradition even claims Isaiah was a member of the royal family, first cousin to King Uzziah. Although the Bible does not reveal how he died, the pseudepigraphal Jewish text called the Martyrdom and Ascension of Isaiah claims that he was arrested and sawed in half by Manasseh. Apparently, absorbed in a vision, Isaiah's eyes stayed open and he didn't cry out in pain but his lips moved as though he was talking with God.
So as I mentioned in this segment, while the Bible doesn't tell us how Isaiah died, according to tradition, he was sawn in half by King Manasseh. And this could be what Hebrews chapter 11 verse 37 is referring to when it says that some of the Old Testament heroes were sawn asunder. And if it was Manasseh that murdered Isaiah, then it adds a layer of irony to the story because the Bible informs us that this wicked king eventually repented and came to saving faith. So Isaiah's godly witness may very well have played a role in this. And you and I should remember that. Our faithful living for the Lord is more important than we think. Non-believers are watching us, so we need to be faithful witnesses for the Lord, not just in word, but also in deed. You know what's interesting is... Uh... I'm sort of uh, aggravated at Manasseh's, you know, what he did wrong because the, the people explain what he did wrong. And then he came to the Lord. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what in the world? Like, you got to, like Jonah, you got to kill him. You got to kill him. But God is faithful and God has a way of forgiving us when our sins are very bad. And yeah. that's very interesting. Yeah, if you think you've gone too far, just read about Manasseh's Manasseh. story. Yeah. Really? Right? Yeah. Really? You've never gone too far. Yeah. For God to forgive you. You know, I think it's so interesting because God in, in his providence and in his wisdom, he used the kings of Israel to represent Israel herself in many, many ways. I mean, we see that with Manasseh's dad, Hezekiah, where God actually uses his sickness to show him that God is like, you know, Hezekiah is going to die and then God saves him miraculously and gives him a little bit more time. And that was to represent the nation of Israel was going to die. And then God saved her for a little bit longer before the destruction. And, you know, when, when we see that, that, um, salvation of Manasseh, it really would have shown that generation um, that was coming back from the exile, that generation of Ezra and Nehemiah, that though they had fallen so badly, they could still be forgiven. Uh, mm -hmm. And and so it really, these kings of Israel, I'm so glad that, that God and his providence recorded this for us because it gives us such good lessons. It does. Does Janice and that goes in uh, in line, Corey and Ryan, with what I wanted to talk about today—a deeper walk. Because we're we're seeing the faith of this centurion, this Roman centurion, who called upon Jesus, sent um, men to Jesus to have him come and heal his servant. And we see the people around him saying, yes, Jesus, you should do this because this man has done well for us. And yet before that story unfolds, we see Jesus talking and he's saying, but why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. And then he goes into this description about the man who builds his house upon the rock and the foolish man who builds his house upon the sand. And of course, we know from that little chorus and from reading this story that the, the wise man who built his house upon the rock, meaning the rock of Jesus Christ, when the storms come, when the trials come, the winds blow, things that happen to us in life, we are able to stand because of our life being built on the foundation of God, the foundation of his word. And now we see the centurion who had faith in the authority of Jesus. And Jesus marveled at his faith uh, as a demonstration to the Jewish people around him that this man who was a Gentile was actually showing more faith than he had seen from his own people. So we need to um, build upon our faith as we walk in God. And that's really how our faith does develop. 
is in that trust and in that fellowship that we have with God. When we commit to give our lives to him, we begin a brand new journey and we begin to follow him. Some of the things that we thought we were doing right, we actually learn have been steering us the wrong way. And we begin to change and we begin to build our faith when we see the steadfast love, the steadfast mercy of God, that even when we make mistakes, if we keep our hearts right, if we remain repentant and humble before the Lord, He will help us. He will help us not to veer off to the left or to the right. When I was reading this story and seeing the faith of this centurion that said, you know, God, I'm not even worthy for you to come to my home. You just need to say the word. Isn't that just like all of us? Even like Manasseh, as we like to call him, Manasseh. He had done so many vile things that we would look at him and say, you know, you're not worthy, but none of us are. None of us are worthy. And yet God in his merciful love, in his steadfast love for us has provided a way through his son Jesus to make ourselves clean through the blood that he shed, giving us the gift of eternal life through his resurrection from death into life. And as I was reading about all that, I thought, and a deeper walk I called it, but then it reminded me of a chorus. I'm not gonna sing it, but I am gonna read it. It's called Just a Closer Walk with Thee. And I remember listening to Mahalia Jackson. Now I'm shooting it far back, but. I can remember Mahalia Jackson doing a beautiful rendition of this hymn. It starts off, just a closer walk with thee, grant it, Jesus, if you please. Daily walking close with thee, let it be, dear Lord, let it be. That's the refrain. Now here are the verses. I am weak, but thou art strong. Jesus, keep me from all wrong. I'll be satisfied as long as I can walk, dear Lord, close with thee. In this world of toil and snares, if I falter, Lord, who cares? Who but thee my burden shares? None but thee, O Lord, none but thee. When my weary life is o'er, pain and suffering are no more. Guide me gently, safely o'er, to thy kingdom shore, to thy shore. Just a closer walk with thee. Grant it, Jesus if you please, daily walking close with thee. Let it be, dear Lord, let it be. Remember October 21st, we're going to be live and we will look forward to seeing you if you can possibly be there. And that is from one till 5.30 at Faith Gospel Tabernacle in Brampton, Ontario, Canada. And uh, we're very excited about this, so be there. Let's pray today. And Father, we come into your presence 
and we say, Lord, I, I desire to follow you. Help me to do so, Lord. Help me to take on the truth of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.